create lasting change, inspire others, and make a difference. You have joined the Influencers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Donaldson, and each week you will hear from distinguished co-hosts and guests as they share insights into impacting our culture from your neighborhood to the nations. Today, I cannot think of a leader that better represents neighborhoods to nations than Pastor Scott Wilson. Uh, Scott is the senior pastor of Oaks Church, an amazing church outside Dallas. Uh, He ministers to approximately 4,000 people every week. Uh, He is a frequent conference speaker and provides mentorship for hundreds of pastors and church leaders. I've had the privilege of knowing Scott for many years, speaking in his church. It's not only a mega church, but it has that intimacy of a small church. But because of Scott's desire to train the next generation, he created the Oaks School of Leadership, a specialized ministry training program providing young leaders with hands-on experience while earning college credits. And if you go to the Oaks, you will see these emerging leaders everywhere. They're just on fire. Scott has written several books, including... His latest release, P3, Praying in the Spirit with Understanding and Agreement. And we're going to drill down on that. But I must say, he's also the only pastor I have ever known that was able to jump three feet in the air and do splits without his pants splitting. Scott, welcome. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. (laughs) It's so good to be here, man. Now, maybe you did split your pants right before the service. I obviously didn't want to check. (laughs) Well, it has happened where I split it. But, you know, I I don't know if I can do that anymore. But, you know, it's funny that you would even bring that up. That's funny. Now, Scott, you're one of the the most well-read leaders and influencers that I know. And I want to start with asking you, on behalf of the many leaders that are listening, what's your favorite book besides the Bible and besides, right. obviously, P3? What's your favorite uh, book? Yeah. Well, I love I love to read. I love to learn. And what's funny about it is, gosh, I know that, that people ask me that question all the time, and it's hard for me to nail one down. I mean, if I'm talking leadership, probably my favorite is Good to Great by Jim Collins. I'm that just made such a major difference in my life. And by the way, I always say that the best book you read is the book you need. I mean, you know, it's Mm. like, it could be a good book, but it becomes the best book ever when it was hitting you, when it was in the moment you Mm. had learning readiness, like I need this when it comes to like my spiritual life. And that the book by Jack Frost, spiritual slaves to spiritual sonship. Oh my gosh. That change. I've, I've read that book probably eight times. Uh, just, that that may be my favorite if I've read it eight times, right? And then choosing to cheat, if we're talking about family, that really touched my heart. Andy Stanley's book on that about dealing with your family and ministry and all of that. But you know what? The most recent book that kind of rocked my world, like shocked me. And wow, I, I this is, is awakening is a book by Brian Stevenson, Just Mercy, just talking about mm-hmm. the issue of um, the racial issues in our nation how that's affected uh, in our justice system. Uh, just, man, it just, it messed with me. Man, it, it messed me up. Like I was having dreams about it and it messed me up just 
on the the issue in our nation uh, with the racial divide. So, I mean, those those are great books. Well, folks, now you know what I mean by well-read. I asked for one book, he gave gave us four, so that's great. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, speaking of books, Scott, you participated in writing a chapter for the City Serve Your Guide to Church-Based yes. Compassion, and we have heard so many uh, reviews from leaders where that impacted them and their ministry. Uh, the title of your chapter is it's time for a game change. And one of the points you make is that if you become a leader that is leading your church into compassion ministry, it could make you more vulnerable to criticism in your church and perhaps even in the community. Yeah, isn't that weird? But it's true. Uh, Dave, you know, remember back when uh, my dad, he just passed away, but what an incredible visionary leader on compassion. I learned a lot of it from everything that I'm, you know, that I think and so forth. A lot of it came from him is, you know, when he was a forerunner in the charter school movement in our community here. And, you know, now my brother, Brent Wilson, Dr. Wilson is the, the superintendent of schools that runs over 6,000 students, two high schools, nine campuses. It's an unbelievable school, but it's a charter school. So it's a public school. I remember back in uh, 1998 when my dad launched the schools, the second year, uh, uh, second generation of charter schools in the state of Texas. It was very new. We had 50 people leave the church today. 50 people, mm. you know what they said? Mm. He's letting the devil in the church. <laughs> He's letting that public school devil stuff in mm. here. We're mm. going to be teaching evolution. We're going to be <laughs> having all kinds of, you know. Anyway, I totally get what was being said is that, wow, are we going to, you know, let something come in that could misrepresent the kingdom of God and so forth? But my dad had a vision that says, golly, man. We have a Christian school, but the kids that need it the most can't afford it and they can't come in here. But what if what if a public school actually had a superintendent who was a a spirit filled believer? What if uh, people on that team and and even the place that you were having the, the, the school was in the house of God where there's prayer going on all the time and there's a prayer covering and there's an interaction and that we would be fully engaged with keeping within the standards of curriculum and in the state and what's appropriate in doing that, but fully engaged with the personhood of who we are. I thought, I think it was, it was, it's been incredible. We've seen all kinds of people's lives impacted, both in education, their family and all that, but even coming to know the Lord and coming in the church community. But man, did people call us liberal? Absolutely. Did people say, I'm leaving this church. It's, 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 it's just not going to represent Jesus anymore. Yeah. And they feel you may even be ignoring the gospel or something like, you know, this week, John Maxwell's coming in for the third year in a row. We're the first city, the first county in America to do the community transformation with him that he's doing in multiple nations around the world, but the first one to do it in America. And this week, uh, we'll have, you know, probably 1,500, 1,600 people gathered together that are being trained to be small group leaders. We have thousands of people in our community who are engaged in small groups, but it's on value based leadership. Why is that important? Because, or or why is that an issue? It's because some people are going like, well, where's Jesus and all this? Well, every value comes from the Bible Mm -hmm. and it's setting us up 
to be able to talk about where did this stuff come from? Where do you think of this? And even in different settings, we've already had scores of people come to Christ through it, but it's not the lead. The lead is, hey, let's talk about values. Let's talk about how uh, we need to be people of honesty, people of integrity, forgiving each other, having compassion and caring. Those are pre-evangelism conversations that are actually just engaging and making us have a better community, which is good in of itself. But man, have we gotten criticism for it? Like, my gosh, why aren't we out just talking about Jesus and all that to take care of it? Well, you know, that's not exactly, that's what we're doing here at the church. Uh, but there are other things we're going to partner in. So even with that, you know, what's different, Dave, is nobody would know, quote unquote, we're leading it because we're not in the sense of my name's not on it. It's not the Oaks Church presents this. We're one of the three pastors that I've recruited others and done that. But now we've handed it over to a committee that's with seven streams, government, education, uh, the, the uh, nonprofit world, the, the different people that are in business, you know, and the uh, government, you know, with the police, all of that. There's all the different streams that are going involved, but we're just one up. But that sure gets criticized. And that's what I mean by that. Now, speaking of criticism, your mayor criticized you. He challenged you, uh, which <laughs> he did, which resulted in redefining your church's success. Tell us about that. Yeah, even what I'm saying now about this, I haven't always kind of led with this thought. And really, my mayor was one of the ones who kind of made me, forced me to kind of reevaluate how I thought about serving. Our community. I was in a restaurant, Dave, and our, our staff was there together, and the mayor walked in. This is about, I don't know, what, 20 years ago, 18 years I don't know how long ago. He, he walked in, and he said, hey, pastor, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, and he pulled me aside, and he said, hey, I just want you to know you have a horrible reputation in our community. <laughs> I was going, what are you talking about? You know? He goes, I'm telling you, it's a problem. And I said, okay, you're going to have to break that down for me. You know, I'm trying to not get defensive, but he said, you know, you're looked at as that big old mega church up on the hill that is basically stolen all the resources and ability of the whole community to do anything. You've you've just taken it. It's like a big old vacuum sucking everything up uh, in the community. And I'm going, I have no idea what you're talking about. All I think about is this community. Every day I wake up and think about what can I do for this? He said, that's what I'm talking about. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you, you're always thinking about what you can do for us. When was the last time you thought about what you could do with us? Mm. And, and I looked at him and I said, I got to think about that because mm. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, well, think about this. You guys have come in in the last two years, done a fall festival that had thousands and thousands at it. Do you realize that for the last 60 years in this community, we've had a fall festival every year. And for the last two years, we've had like 20 people show up because they're all at your thing. And now our community deal is no longer. The tradition is gone, you know, and, and it's it, you're stealing the ability or whatever. And he says, in the, you know, we had a cleanup day. We called y'all to be involved, but y'all had a cleanup day two weeks before. You're not in tune with what's going on and we're not coordinating together. Now, I got to be honest with you, Dave, at that point, I was a little frustrated. I went back to the office and prayed and just said, God, what do you want me to do? And I felt like the Lord said, how did I come among you? And I, and I came as Emmanuel, God who was with you. I came among you and walked with you and was with you. And so I felt like the Lord told me I needed to start walking in relationship with instead of things being 
you know, my wins were defined by did it did we meet needs and did it did we do what we wanted to accomplish to, hey, am I working with people in the community who are going to on a sustaining faithful? This is what they do instead of going and compete with what they're doing, help them to achieve. So that becomes a win for me, a win for those partners in the community and the needs being met in a more sustainable and partnered unified way. And that has really increased the ability of our community, even like this John Maxwell thing we're doing and the community transformation. And what we have here is the Waxahachie project that's going on that we started and all of the organizations are working together. I think that 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 brought that transition. And so I don't know that we've done everything well. Sometimes I wonder whether instead of us not doing our fall festival and doing and just joining theirs, it may have been better if we said, well, why don't we do the fall festival we're doing at the church and you guys do it with us, you know, and we have everybody do it together. You know, I don't know if I know everything of how to do that, but the shift became instead of doing things for people, I wanted to come alongside and do things with uh, the people in the community. I got to tell you, buddy, when I spoke the first time at the Oaks and you and others announced you know, that uh, you had sign-up sheets in the back, you know, for people to volunteer. I was obviously thinking, you know, it's to volunteer for the Oaks, you know, Oaks mm-hmm. Ministries. And then I walk back there, and it's, you know, boys and girls clubs, you know, of, of Dallas. It's cleaning up yep. the, you know, the yards, painting the homes of shut-ins, you know, visiting, you know, nursing homes, prisons. Unbelievable. I mean, talking about a paradigm shift, because as you've just illustrated, so many pastors think in terms of community engagement as come help me do my thing. And you flipped mm-hmm. it the other way. Yes, that's true. That is, and, and I think that that has impacted more than, uh, I don't know, just us. I think it's led the way with maybe a shift with even some of the other people in the community that we all need to work together and together we can do more uh, in doing it. And even the people of our church, this isn't just about us. This is about the place, the, the part we play in the greater kingdom of God and in the community engagement. So I hope, I hope we're doing it well. I mean, that, that's the heart. The other thing I love about this model this community engagement model, which, by the way, as Rich Guerra likes to say, our churches should not be known by their size, but by their level of community engagement. And mm-hmm. what I love about this is it's scalable. Every church of any size can do this. You can have your people signing up to serve, you know, in their community in various ways. And, uh, you know, I just I applaud you. Uh, for producing this model that other churches are beginning to model as well. Now, what would you say to pastors that are trying to develop this kingdom diplomacy and to build relationships with other pastors? I remember one of the first outreaches we did with Convoy of Hope. Uh, I was Mm -hmm. uh, speaking in Philadelphia doing the vision casting. A pastor stood to his feet and he said, Dave, you guys are working in some of the most dangerous areas in America. Have you ever had an altercation? And I replied, just one, 
but fortunately, we were able to separate the two pastors. (laughs) (laughs) So so easier said than done. Uh, Scott, talk with us about that. How can a pastor who desires to now, you know, get out there in the community to take a seat of influence to build those types of relationships, how do they do that? Well, you know, I think part of it is to build relationship. So there has to be time spent with people. You know, there's a big difference between vision and culture. Vision is, man, I got a vision to connect with people in the community. Well, that may be a series. That may be something that you're going to do for the emphasis this year. Culture is, this is how we think. This is how we function. This is how we do things. This is, this is everything that we do. So what happens is sometimes we get excited and say, man, I want to do something with the community and help them. And that's what we're going to do this first quarter of the year or whatever. And, and that's, that's okay. And that's good. It's kind of like, you know, that, that'll work, but people smell that in the community where that's just like something we're doing. That's not necessarily who we are. That's something we're, we're doing as an activity, but it's not our heart. It's not our being. And so when people start realizing, hey, we are here in the community and we want to engage and partner in the holistic ministry needs being met or people's needs being met holistically, physically, spiritually, we're doing it. But physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, families, foster care, you know, the, the different key issues. So I think to meet with your mayor, to meet with community leaders, to meet with chamber leaders, to meet with the schools, to find out what are the major issues going on in our community that, man, if this thing got resolved, if this thing, if we met this need, that would be a huge game changer in this community. And instead of just saying, we're going to lead the way on that, how about find out the people who are trying to work on it and see how you can come alongside mm-hmm. of with them to not be that our church made the difference, but our church was part of the team that made the difference. There's a different mentality. It's, it's, it's incredible to think about what can be accomplished if we're not thinking about who's going to get the credit. And I think a lot of times we're thinking about what can we do to be seen in the community as the answer instead of what can we do to serve this community and cause needs to be met. Two totally different ways of thinking. And so I think the attitude of heart is big and then building relationship and just finding out what are the needs and who's trying to work on it and how can we come alongside to do that? Love it. Yeah, I tell young leaders that what, what you wake up with and what you go to sleep with, that's who you are. And, mm-hmm. and if it's about becoming a kingdom you know, diplomat in your communities, and you will become that. I was with a, a pastor friend uh, recently, Scott, and he was very discouraged. Uh, he said I, that he had been praying that God would send him uh, more and more, not only people, but leaders, And he Mm -hmm. said, uh, just a few weeks ago, I had two of my key leaders come up to me and tell me that they're relocating to another state. And he said, even God's working against me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Didn't it feel like that sometimes? And, you know, just what would you say to a leader, you know, that's discouraged, you know, one way or another? I mean, they're having to deal also with the, the finances, perhaps 
somebody is attacking them, you know, verbally, you know, in the church, but they're discouraged and perhaps even ready to give up. Yeah, even, well, let's just take the the first things first on what you asked. I mean, I, I feel that tension all the time of, my gosh, I'm going to pour into all these people. And then who knows, it may be two years from now, I've poured in, given all this time and discipled them. And now they're going to, their job going to transform or, or, or even people here in that school of ministry you're talking about, Dave, you know, the school of ministry, you just mentioned the O school of leadership with people being trained to full-time ministry and all that. Do you realize that over 600 people since I've been pastor have gone into full-time ministry through that outside of our church? I mean, they're gone. I mean, mm. but it, it, incredible. And then on the other side, do you know how much psychologically I have to pastor the people of our church to say, continue to pour into these people that are going to be sent out that aren't going to quote unquote benefit us. I have to continue to speak to them about the vision of the house is not just uh, how many people we keep, but it's how many people we raise up and send out that we're a part of a kingdom effort. That's bigger than our local ish, our local assignment. We have assignment bigger than that. So I have to, and I can't rejoice sending out too much. Then everybody wants to go. So you can't <laughs> rejoice in longevity, how long you stay. And I can't rejoice in sending them out too much or everybody goes. So what I have to do is raise this, the, the, the celebration on obedience. Hmm. Are people being where God tells them to be? And am I doing what God has told me to do? If I'm making disciples, which is what he told me to do, do and then they're being sent out on God's assignment that's a win if somebody's being raised up as a disciple and they're staying that's a on God's assignment that's a win my assignment is to make disciples where God distributes resources and what he does in that uh you know if everything's the right way and everybody's doing what God says is his his call I mean we're submitted to his kingdom assignment now does that mean that if one of my top givers was called to leave and now that leaves a gap in the budget dude god i mean i feel the pain of that pastor just going what in the world but that's when i have to trust that that really god is the one who gives the increase god is the one who brings the provision god is the one who does everything and i don't know how to do all that except for what i'm given by god and so to be faithful with what i have faithful with the people i have to continue to raise up the disciples and trust him in placement that's what i got to do for pastors that might be discouraged, not just on this issue, but others, man, there's no temptation that has hit us except for what is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow us to be go through things beyond what we're able to bear. But he will give us the grace to stand up under it. The whole deal is, I got problems, you got problems, all God's people got problems. All God's children's got problems. I mean, all of us, you know. And so the problem is... Not that we got the problem. It's knowing that we got the problem, taking the problem to the Lord and trusting him in every step of the way. God is faithful. He will lead. He will empower on his assignment. And when I feel as though there's a lack, like he's, you know, I was praying this morning, God, you are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And I realize that anytime there's a lack, it's not something that um, speaks to his lack of ability. It speaks to perhaps a positioning he's putting me in mm. for my growth. Mm. And if there's a lack, he is positioning me for growth. And that truth and the others that you've shared, that's scalable. Because you may have pastors listening right now that say, that's easy for Scott to say. He's got this mega church. 
You know, what about me? My church is 50 people in a town of, you know, 2,000. But what you just shared, that is God's truth wherever you're at. Right. Now, For sure. let's let's shift to this exciting book, uh, P3. I mean, it's a transformative book for leaders if we apply it. Why did you write P3? Yeah, P3 just stands for praying in the spirit, praying with understanding and praying in agreement. And the reason why I wrote it is it, it wasn't like I was setting out to, to write the book. It's actually it's the story of what's happened in our church, in the prayer life of our leaders in my heart and our leaders in our church all the way through the church now has become the cultural norm of our church is to pray in the spirit, praying in the spirit. I grew up my whole life since I was eight years old, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, had this prayer language that God gave me to pray in, praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. And my dad told me it was important, but you know what? I don't know that I ever really locked into why is it important? I know that the Bible says it edifies me, but man, I don't even understand what I'm saying. So sometimes I felt like Romans 8, 26, when it says, you know, if you don't know what to pray, the spirit of pray with you with groans, words can, uh, you know, when you lose the words. So I thought it was like, do all my prayer time. And if I got 10 minutes left on the clock of what I thought I was going to do, then pray in tongues. It's like prayer filler. <laughs> and yet I started understanding first Corinthians 14 says anybody who prays in the spirit, it's God praying, leading your spirit in prayer. You're speaking words you don't understand, but it's spirit prayer. It, it's an, a hundred percent alignment with God praying. So then I started going, wait a minute, praying in the spirit is God enabling my spirit to pray back to him a hundred percent his will without soul interference, without my fear, my anxiety, my motives being tainted or whatever, blocking it. So it's a hundred percent his will. Man, if I can pray a hundred percent his will, first John, 5, 14, 15 says, I'm going to get anything that I ask for if I pray according to will. So man, God prays better than me. I should be praying in the spirit a lot more. Mm. Uh, so I just started doing that. That made sense. But then I realized in 1 Corinthians 14, that in verse 15, it says, if anybody prays in tongues, you should also pray that they could interpret. And so then Paul says, so this is how I pray. I pray in the spirit and with understanding. I sing in the spirit and with understanding. I started going, wait a minute. The Apostle Paul is saying that this is a regular part of his ongoing prayer is that he prays in the spirit, pauses, and then there's a revelation that comes to him that he's praying with understanding. He's getting revelation, whether it's a prophetic communication back from God of an answer to the prayer he prompted our spirit to pray, or if it's the interpretation of what I, he was inspiring me to pray, uh, it, it's a revelation. And I got this I thought, this idea, this vision, this scripture, this word from God that, that I'm knowing, have greater revelation of what God's wanting to tell me. And so I began to pray every day, praying in the spirit and then pausing and, and expecting for God to communicate back to me a revelation of what he's saying. And now guess what? We're in a, this cosmic or supernatural conversation. Man, I'll tell you what, prayer may be boring, but not when God talks back. Mm. Uh, you know, some people think it's boring, <laughs> but man, when God starts talking to you, that mm. ain't boring. Man, That's man. incredible, you know? And so then I started saying, now, if God's talking to me, I need to come in agreement with that and say, okay, Lord, I come in agreement with what you're saying. That's kind of the P3. But then what happened is, you know, Mark Batterson, I know you guys are yes, friends. Yes. And <clears throat> Batterson's my friend too. We were at this deal together and we were talking about this. You know what he told me is his father-in-law, Brother Schmidtball, uh, used to, every time there was a gift of tongues or interpretation, he would have it transcribed and put on file what that interpretation was. Anytime there was a prophetic word in the church, they would transcribe, put it in there. And, and he had them all filed away. I started going, man, I should pay more attention. Why am I not doing that? 
God speaking to us in this way. So I went back to our staff and we had already been in staff meetings, praying in the spirit and with understanding kind of that way. But I told him, I'm going to write down whatever the Lord tells you. Yeah, I'm going to write down here so we can come in agreement with it. And I did it. But you know what happened, David? I, I, I began to read it back, what everybody had received, the vision they had or the scripture they had or the prophetic word they received. And when I read it back, it read back as if it was one whole communication, like a letter that mm. this person got a sentence of two sentences over here, three sentences. Of it. And man, it was so awesome. And I thought, mm. whoa. Was that a one-time deal? Then we did it the next week. The next week, we went one month, two months, three months. It happened every time we were together. And it was as if God was talking to us about everything going on. And it was like everybody was getting a piece. And then I started realizing 1 Corinthians 13, 9 says anybody prophesies, they prophesy in part. They only got their part. And that's why 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says when you come together, everybody bring their part. Bring your song, bring your prophetic word, bring your uh, tongue interpretation. Why? So that the whole of the house, the whole of the body can be edified. So when I get a word from the Lord, sometimes it can feel like I got the whole thing. But really, the whole piece I have is just a part of the greater whole that God's given. So I'm totally dependent on God, but I'm interdependent on the family of God when we pray. And in this way, God's giving this fuller expression of what we need to know. And it, it's become amazing. Every staff meeting, every board meeting, everything we do in the church, we say prayer doesn't just open our agenda. It sets the agenda. Because when we begin to pray at the beginning of every meeting, God starts talking to us about even what we're going to be talking about in the meeting. So it has revolutionized. I mean, you're talking about kids in kids' church, eight and 10 years old in groups, praying together praying in the spirit and then with understanding and then writing down and declaring together in agreement what God is saying on our youth group all the way through the church. It has just really changed the way we pray because now we're not just praying, we're listening and then we're sharing with each other in such a way that we re we understand the body gets the whole of the message. And that's, that's kind of that. That's why I wrote the book because it has brought such life. Well, and you know, encouragement to, the, and unity. Well, the Bible says to pray for understanding. I mean, God wouldn't yes. command us to do that unless he's wanting to roll back the scroll and bring yes. you know, meaning, purpose and action steps. I got to tell you also, you know, we had a meeting with you, our city serve board, and I had uh, with me a few business executives that are on the board. And after we met, a group of your leaders surrounded us and began to pray over us, but also to speak into our lives and ministry. And it was one of the most powerful times I've ever had. So I love the fact that it's not something that's just done on Sundays or midweek services. I mean, yeah. it is now part of the DNA and culture of the Oaks that is rippling out. Yes, it's amazing. I now, love it. And now, I want to give it away, Dave. Yeah, please tell us how we can get it. Yeah, because I'm not, you know, this book um, that you're talking about, P3 book, uh, if you could, any listener today, because I love you, man, and I love everything you do. Dude, City Serve, you guys, y'all you, are like my heroes. You guys are what you're doing and just being able to be a part of it is huge. And so everybody's listening today. I just wanted to give them the book. And if they, if for free, if they go, if you go to p3book.org and just give me your email in there, then uh, I'll send it to you digitally immediately to your email and you can get it. Now, 
<clears throat> what we've had, Dave, is a lot of people say, well, man, I like having the book, but kind of hard to move from just reading the book about the biblical description of it and even some of the stories of it and functioning and developing that into the uh, culture of our staff, our church board, our church as a whole, youth and kids. So what what I did because of that is I, I, I don't want people to have to just read a book and then struggle on, well, I read it, understand it, but how do I do it? And so we put together a whole master suite course on how to talk to people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how to how to how to get your staff uh, moving from just praying together to P3ing together and it becoming norm. And how do you how do you write it down and transcribe, you know, to to do the P3, you know, uh, you know, doing that and scribing it. And how do you do that with your board and how does that work and how do you do it with youth and kids and prayer meetings and how to do this and not get weird? You know, because sometimes with the gifts, it can get off. That's why Corinthians was written that way in 12, 13, 14, talking about how to do it right. So I talk about the five ways this thing could blow up, but how to diffuse it, how to move pastor the move of God like Peter did on the day of Pentecost when everybody's thinking it's weird. But he says, listen to me, let me explain. Here's what the word of God says or the prophet Joel says. And then everybody goes, well, how can we get it? How do you do those things in the function of a church to be full on spirit led, but not being you know, weird and, and how to do that. And so I put that together. Anybody wants to get that, it shows you how to do it, but I want everybody to get the book. I think it would be helpful. You know, the late, great uh, Bill Bright used to say, God blesses those whom he can trust. And there's a reason why God has blessed you, Scott, uh, your wife, your family and ministry, uh, because as long as I've known you, you have been pursuing the Lord and, and truly uh, trying to tap into truths like this that are revolutionary. And so uh, thank you so much. And I want us to conclude uh, with you praying for the leaders that are listening. Sure. Absolutely. And again, thank you for your encouragement. I love you and uh, appreciate just your encouragement in my life. Let me just pray for everybody. God, I love you, and I love what you're doing in our world today, that you have such a heart for the lost and a heart for the hurting, for those who are wounded, for those who are in need. And I thank you that you are moving upon the heart of leaders, and that's why they're even listening to this podcast, because they're going, how can we become the salt and light in this world that you want us to be? And I pray that for every leader that's listening to this and they're just feeling overwhelmed with all the needs and all the hurts and all of the different things and even the disunity in communities and in our nation, just all that stuff. I pray right now that everyone would realize we will not be able to figure these things out on our own. And so we're coming to you. We've got to get on our knees, not just individually, but corporately in our churches and in our families and say, God, help us speak to us. We can't do it by our might. We can't do it by our power or by our wisdom. It's got to be by your spirit. So do what only you can do in our hearts and in our lives and our communities and help every pastor, every leader, every person who's listening to this to just bow their knee to you and say, okay, God, tell me what to say and I'll say it. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Tell me where to go and I'll go. And in doing so, we will have the authority, the same authority that Christ had as he did that. So God, help us not to overcomplicate this, but to make it simple. All we got to do is every day say what you tell us to say and do what you tell us to do. 
and you will empower us to accomplish your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. So be it. What a powerful prayer and declaration from Pastor Scott Wilson to all of us. And thank you, Scott, also for your generosity and providing for our listeners uh, the P3 book, which we can obtain by simply going to p3book.org. That's p3book.org. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. I hope you enjoy listening to Influencers on the Charisma Podcast Network. Join us next week for another thought-provoking episode. And remember to use your influence to move people closer to Jesus.